Amen. So, what would you do? <laughs> You're in the boat, and, and Jesus says, come on out on the water. What would you do? Would you trust God when it made absolutely no sense to trust God? We are smack dab in the middle of our grace series, and there have been two key words that we have heard. You know, we just, again, returned from Washington, and there are words everywhere, powerful words everywhere. Uh, We were standing in the Jefferson Memorial, and it's a giant statue of Jefferson standing erect, and on four different walls are four of the key things, the Bill of Rights and things that he had authored, powerful words. Well, in the Bible, two of the most powerful words are grace and faith. Grace and faith. You can't get away from them. They're like, they're wed together, grace and faith. And, and by the end of this series, and we got about two more weeks to go, I am so hoping that you will be able to say without, a, it's almost like breathing that happens naturally, that grace, what is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is what God extends to me simply because he loves me. Grace, God's unmerited favor. Faith, walking where I cannot see. It's taking a step where the next step is not visible. Simply, simply trusting God, even when it means getting out of the boat and walking on the water. Well, today, we want to talk about five very dangerous words. Now, I need to tell you this. I don't know if this is going to be like one of those wow messages or exciting messages, but I am absolutely certain it is an incredibly important message today. Five dangerous words. Here they are. If I don't, it won't. If I don't, it won't. Now, as a people of grace, we are called to trust God. That's who we are. That's what we do. We are, the Bible says clear, we are to walk by faith and not by sight. The Bible also says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And that simply says that when it makes no sense, God, I'll trust you. But the five most dangerous words, and they permeate us so easily and so slyly, is, you know... If I don't, it won't. In other words, if I don't take action, it won't happen. If I don't do something, it won't happen. You know, I don't know if you've ever watched the one ads or not in in the paper, but let me tell you what you're never going to see. You're never going to see a help needed from God. You're not going to see an ad in the paper saying, I need help. And yet, too often... We act like, if I don't do something, it won't happen. And you know what that's called? That's called lack of faith. (laughs) It's called lack of faith. And we need to be a people who trust and believe God. There's a saying that floats around, and it says this. Now, I want you to listen very carefully carefully to what I'm about to say, because it sounds good. The saying says this, faith isn't believing that God can, but that he will. Faith is not believing that God can, but that he will. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound good? It's not true. 
In fact, it's a blatant lie. It's a blatant lie. Because you see, that verse, te- that saying teaches us that because I want something, it is God's obligation to do it. And that's the theology, that's the breeding ground of if I don't, it won't. Because what happens is, if we believe that, faith isn't believing that God can, but that He will. No matter what I ask, He will do it. No matter what I ask, He will do it. That's the breeding ground because we back God into a corner and we start saying, well, you know what? If, if, I, don't, if I don't help God out here, then, then, then it's not going to happen and, and it'll be a failure and it'll be God's fault. How many, how many broken marriages? How many broken marriages are caused by, if I don't, it won't? It goes something like this. You were single and you want to be married real bad. And the clock was ticking and ticking and ticking. And you said, if I don't do something, I'm going to end up old and single. And that is not what I want. And so you jumped into a relationship. It may have even seemed like a good relationship. Or it may have been one that was totally ungodly from the get-go. A person who wasn't a believer. And now you're in a relationship and in marriage. And you're saying, how in the world did I get here? It happened because you said, if I don't, it won't. Someone on the radio today, and maybe someone in this room, you're sitting there and you're in a financial mess. A financial mess. And that mess is rooted in, if I don't, it won't. I wanted a new car. I wanted a new house. I wanted this. I, I want to be able to do that. And you borrowed and you got credit cards. You ran them to the max. You took charge. Well, God, I asked you, God, you know my, the heart's desire is for a house. And so you jumped into a house because a banker said he'd be glad to loan you the money. You jumped into a car loan that you couldn't afford because the salesman said, we are certain that we can get you financing. And how did that happen? It happened because you said, if, if I don't, it won't. You may be in a re- other relationships where there are friends that are no longer friends anymore because you thought it was your obligation to try to straighten them out. And you prayed about it in a while and God didn't give you any leadership or guidance. You said, well, if this is going to happen, I'm going to have to make it happen. And you went and talked to that friend. You stuck your foot so far down your throat, you haven't seen it since. And you know why that happened? Because you said, if I don't, it won't. Some of you are out of careers that you are in because things weren't going quite like you thought they should. And so you took matters into your hand and you prayed about it and didn't wait too long for the answer to the prayer. And so you went and did what you thought was right. And you said, if I don't, it won't. And you're no longer what you used to be in that career because you decided not to trust God. You decided that you could do it. If I don't, it won't. And people of grace do this a lot because we don't wait on God. You remember what Moses said in the Old Testament? It's really great. You know, Moses was, was talking with God one day, you know, and, and here's, what, here's what Moses told God. Moses said to God, if you don't go with us, we aren't going. That's good theology. That's good. Lord, I, I'm just going to wait. If, we're not going to move, God, unless you... Go with us. 
Well, Dwayne, if that's a bad saying, faith isn't believing that God can, but that he will. What is the good saying? The good saying is this. Faith isn't believing that God will, but that he can. That's scriptural. Because my God can do all things. But I've got to be willing to say, God, it's not that what I want, it's not what I will, it's what you will. Faith is trusting God. And faith and grace go together. I'm telling you, this is something someone in this room and someone on the radio needs to hear today. And thankfully, God doesn't remove all circumstances, but God is great at removing and forgiving the guilt of when we do this. I, I, I went through and found like five or six verses real quick, you know, just to, just to help you here. And one is one that, you know, there might be some scriptures that I use a lot. And you say, uh, Dwayne, do you know any other scriptures? You know, sometimes there's a, there's a scripture that there's just no better. And when it comes to trusting God, this is one of them. It's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Now, don't lean unto your own understanding in all your ways. In all your ways, the, the author of Proverbs says, trust in him and he will make your path straight. How different would our life be if we lived a life as grace people, as people who have been touched by God's grace? How different would our lives be if we honestly trust in the Lord with all our heart and we didn't lean into our understanding and all our ways we acknowledged Him and let Him direct our paths? Would our marriages be better? Would our homes be better? Would our careers be better? Would our life be better? Would we have more financial freedom? Yes, 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 and yes. Listen to this. These are great verses. Zechariah 4, 6. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's not by power. It's not by might. But I can make it happen. Psalm 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some put their strength and trust in horses. Some put it in chariots. But no, we choose as grace people to trust in the name of the Lord. Proverbs 28, 6. Those who trust in themselves are fools. Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. The wise man trusts God. In fact, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. He calls us to trust Him. But what we have a tendency to do, because we want often our way and our what we want, is, well, I need to help God, so therefore, if I don't, it won't, so I will. And that often leads to disastrous consequences. Well, our character today is a guy named um, Isaac and Jacob and Rebekah and Esau. It's found in Genesis chapter 25. So go and take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 25. And we're going to look this morning at, at these characters, these principal players in life. Now, these are really famous people. You know, Isaac was the, I think I said Isaiah, Isaac was the son of Abraham. Now, now get this in mind. Do you remember the story when Abraham, first off, they waited, Abraham was 100 years old and Sarah was 90 when Isaac finally was born? I mean, like, wow, what a miracle. 
And you remember, it wasn't too long. How, we're not sure exactly how old Isaac was. But God said, I want you to take your son on top of the mountain. And I want you to offer him as a sacrifice to me. And, and this is really big because God had said to Abraham, it's through Isaac, it's through Isaac that, that nations will be born. And now God's saying, take him up on a mountain and kill him? What? Well, Abraham believed God. And I bet you heard last week that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, grace, and faith. Well, Abraham and Isaac go up on the mountain, and, and on the way up, Isaac goes, well, Father, I see the fire, and I see the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And, and Abraham said, Son, God will provide the sacrifice. So you get up there, and Abraham, not sure how it's going to happen, he believed that somehow God was going to pull this off. He takes his son and ties him up on the altar and raises his knife and is about to kill his son, his only son, the one that God said the miracle would come through, that nations would be born. He raises his knife and God stops his hand and says, no, no, no. I just want to make sure that I owned all of you. And Abram looked up, Abram looked up over into the bushes and guess what he saw? A ram. God had provided the sacrifice. This is that kid, grown up, Isaac. And Isaac has this great, this one of those stories that you women love in marriage. You know, he goes off and travels a great distance and meets this lady named Rebecca and it's love at first sight and she's an incredible woman and it's great. And the promise has continued. God has said, Isaac, you're going to have children and through those children, nations will be born. Well, Isaac is now 60 years old. Been married for 20 years. And guess how many kids he has? That would be zero. My wife accuses me of being competitive. She didn't want to walk with me in Washington, D.C. because she thinks I walk like a crazy man. Like say, one day I walked 16 miles. Okay, that is crazy. Let's just go home. That's just nuts. But it's kind of crazy. Isaac looked at the scoreboard. And, you know, Isaac had a, a half-brother named Ishmael. You remember him? Well, by this time, Ishmael had 12 sons. And Isaac had zero. You know what that did to his maleness? I try to say that T word, but I can't ever get it out of my mouth. You know what that did to him? I, you know, Isaac zero, Ishmael twelve. Well, it's been twenty years, and no kids. And that's where we're going to pick our scripture up. In Genesis twenty five twenty one, the Bible Bible says that Isaac. Pray to the Lord. Now, this is really significant. Let me tell you what's really significant about this. There are several things. There's little nuggets here I want you to grab a hold of, and this is one of them. Now, again, if you remember the story, if you know the story, and I can't take a lot of time, but but if you remember the story, you know, along the way, remember the saying, if I don't, it won't? Well, Abraham, Abram, and Sarai were waiting to have babies. And they were getting older and older and older. And finally, Sarai said, we're going to have to do something because if I don't, it won't. So she goes to Abraham and says, hey, I've got this handmaid. And um, maybe you should take her and sleep with her. And you can have an heir from Hagar instead of by me. But at least you'll have an heir. 
bad idea. Well, Abraham agreed. Boy, did he regret that one. <laughs> on a couple of levels. It didn't turn out real well. So Ishmael was born. Well, Isaac learned from that. I guess he heard the story. Because the Bible says that, first off, Rebekah didn't go to Isaac and say, hey, how about sleeping with my handmaid? Both of them were a little more spiritually mature than that. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Isaac did the right thing. He prayed. And by the way, gentlemen, pray for your wife. Thank you, Jackie. We need one more amen than that. Gentlemen, pray for your wife. One, it'll make God yay, and it will really bless your wife's heart when she knows that you pray for her. I didn't say pray about her, by the way. I said pray for her. There's a difference. So Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. And look, the Lord heard his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, conceived. Yay! But you ever wonder why? Not why he prayed, but why did God wait 20 years? And someone needs to hear this. This is one of those things you need to listen up. Why did God wait 20 years? Because God believes in growing and testing our faith. And those 20 years were times when Isaac and Rebekah were growing and God was testing their faith. You know, I love, you know, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I'm God. Sometimes we just need to be still. Sometimes we just need to be still. In Isaiah 40.31, those who wait on the Lord. See, if I don't, it won't, says the opposite. I ain't waiting on you, God. I'm ready. I've waited long enough. I'm going to help you out. I've got a plan. Isaiah 41 says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. So why? it wasn't accident. It wasn't arbitrary. It wasn't like God got busy helping someone else and said, Oh, well, no, it was intentional. So after 20 years, the Bible says she conceives. And verse 22, look, this is like so interesting. But the children inside her struggled with each other. Now, ladies, you understand this, okay? Because I, I remember, Judy, when you were like carrying one of the kids. Actually, probably all of them. But I remember the first time. You know, when you have the first baby, it's all new to you. You know? And you remember the first time that we're sitting there and you said, Judy, Judy said, Watch. And all of a sudden your stomach went, oh. it was a leg, it was a knee. You remember that? It was cool. Mm. And then as the pregnancy progresses and the baby gets bigger, it goes from, mm, oh. Oh. you know, over here the head moves oh. like that. Well, now you can appreciate, those of you who have carried babies can really appreciate this because the Bible says the children inside her struggle with each other. And in other words, those children, this is the first recorded set of twins in the Bible. Okay? And literally in the Hebrew, listen, this is interesting. Literally in the Hebrew, this is how that translates. The children smashed themselves inside her. Literally from the Hebrew. It's almost like there were, and I know some of you ladies going, I know I felt this. There was like a war going on inside her womb. And literally, 
There was a war going on in her womb. Literally, the children were smashing themselves inside her. And by the way, another freebie. I'm sitting reading this, and I go, uh-huh. Another proof that life begins in the womb. Fetuses weren't smashing. Globs of tissue weren't smashing. The children were smashing. There was a war going on. Two human beings, not globs of flesh. Two human beings were fighting in the womb. You remember back when Elizabeth was pregnant and Mary shows up, the Bible says in Elizabeth's womb that the baby jumped for joy. Elizabeth's baby jumped for joy, expressing emotion. Life begins in the womb. That's free. It didn't cost you a dime. But the children inside her struggled with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? Ladies, have y'all ever had that thought? Why is this happening to me? So she went and inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, listen now, two nations are in your womb and two people. There were twins, but literally there were two nations being born out of her womb. And he goes on and says, they come from you and they will be separated. So so God is saying that there are two different men in your womb. They're different in a thousand different ways that we're going to see some of those in just a moment. One people will be stronger than the other. And here is the key thought. And the older will serve the younger. God said there's a war going on in your room because two nations are being born. And it's going to be unlike what is normal because one will always be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Okay? Again, if you're the baby of the family, we know we're best anyway. Your older brothers and sisters can harp all they want to, but they're just jealous because they weren't the precious last baby of the family. Little babies are best. Judy was the baby of the family. I'm the baby of the family. And our siblings just need to get over it and realize we're the best. We're the cutest. We're the most intelligent. And mom and dad just liked us more. It's just the way that it is. Well, these two were struggling in there. And it doesn't mean a lot that the older was going to serve the younger. But back then, it was a big deal. It was the natural order that the older was the patriarch. The birthright and the authority and the family line all passed by through the older, not the younger. And along comes God. And says, not this time. This time, the older will serve the younger. In one of the commentaries I studied for this message, it said, the order of nature is not necessarily the order of grace. The order of nature is not necessarily the order of grace. Listen to these words. Tradition does not determine grace. Convention does not dictate grace. Neither does giftedness or natural endowments. Grace does not bow to social privilege or status. In other words, God can do anything he wants to do. Come on. God can do whatever he wants to do. Our, listen, we need to realize that he's God and we're not. And as a people of grace who have experienced his grace, what we need to do is simply bow and say yes. 
We need to bow and say yes. That's the way of grace people, is we bow and we say yes. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, this will encourage some people here, I think. Paul writes, this is, of course, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, Brothers, consider your calling. Not many are wise from a human perspective. And that's true. Not a, not, not Christ, sometimes a lot of Christ followers are not very wise. Not many powerful. But not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God's chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. All that we need to know is this. God makes the call, and we say yes. Grace people trust God. Grace people trust God, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we say to Jesus, hey, Jesus, let me come out on the water to you, and Jesus says, okay, I want you to leave behind a perfectly good boat where it's dry, and I want you to get out of that boat and come walk on the water. Even when it doesn't make sense, we are to trust God. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as high as heaven is higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So in this particular case, God said, The older will serve the younger. And in your case, let me pause. In your case, there are going to be a time in your life when God does something that makes no sense to you. And you're going to have that critical moment where you're going to say, if I don't, it won't. I can't trust God. I'll do what I think is right. Or you're going to say, yes, God, it doesn't make sense to me, but I will trust you. Now, I think we need to pause here. And I think we've got to ask this question. So, did God throw Esau under the bus? I mean, here he was, by natural order, supposed to receive everything, and now it seems like he ends up with nothing. Did God throw Esau under the bus? And I'll say no, and thankfully God doesn't throw us under the bus either. You know, there's a strange scripture. Why I chose these difficult scriptures when I came back off vacation, I don't know. Brent should have taught this last week, and I should have had some easy like Abraham. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 10, there's an interesting scripture. Here's what it says. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. And it speaks of this scripture. So not only that, Paul says, but also Rebecca received a promise when she became pregnant by one man, our ancestor Isaac. For through her... Sons had not yet been born or done anything good or bad. Those babies in the womb had done nothing good or bad. So that God's purpose, according to election, might stand. Not from works, but from the one who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. It wasn't that Jacob was destined to be a better leader. It wasn't that Esau was going to be a bad leader. It was simply this. God in his sovereignty said, I'm going to extend my grace to Jacob and make him the master of his brothers. That's how grace works. It's God's unmerited favor. 
Obviously, the babies had done nothing to determine that. It was simply God. Why did God choose Noah? Because of grace. Why did God choose the pagan Abraham? Because of grace. Why did God choose you? Grace. You thought it was because you were so cute. You thought it was because you were so talented. You thought it was because you were so rich. No, no. It was grace. He just extended his grace to you. How about that? Isn't that good? Isn't that good to know? God's unmerited favor. Well, it goes on and says this. As it is written, and this is the hard part, makes you kind of want to skip these verses. I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Well, that doesn't sound fair, Dwayne. God says, I love Jacob and hated Esau. Well, I think, I'm going to give you a couple more verses here. But I wrote this, and I think it's pretty good. It wasn't so much that God hated Esau, it was that Esau hated God. See, as you study the life of Esau, even though there are glimmers of light, he was not a God man. In fact, his name Esau means red, the same thing that Adam's natural name meant. You see, Esau was a natural man. And it wasn't that God hated him as much as he hated God. And the Bible says in Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yea, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. God says that, that, that love for God should make everything else pale and seem even as hate. But the problem with Esau was he never turned to God. Remember the guy named Judas? How many of y'all think Judas went to hell because he betrayed Jesus? He, he went to hell because he didn't receive a Savior. He walked with the Savior, but he never received the Savior. In fact, Jesus said in John 3, 36, The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life, and said the wrath of God remains on him. So even the womb, God could foresee that Jacob would be a man of God and Esau would reject God. And that was part of the war that was raging in the womb. So we finally get to where we see this illustrated out. And by the way, we're not going to do the last scripture, which is huge. So in case you're watching the clock, you're going, oh, no. The word boondoggled is not a very common word anymore. But we're going to see... That this man named Jacob, whose name meant God protects him, but also meant one who trips others up, trips others up. He boondoggles his brother Esau. Now, listen, people of grace should not be boondogglers. We should be a people who act different when it comes to other people. So it just once again proves that you don't have to be perfect to be a person of grace. And again, I'm very, very grateful for that. So in Genesis 25, 27, just right down the road from where we were, okay, the Bible says, when the boys grew up, when the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman, but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. These two men, these two young men, could not be more different than if you tried to make them so. Um, um, Esau, as the expert hunter and outdoorsman, was man versus wild. If you watch that show. He was, he, was, he was Jeremiah Jones, you know. He was the mountain man. And 
and Jacob was, you know, can I just tell you the truth? When I read this so long ago, when I started preaching, I remember saying something like this, that he was a mama's boy. He wasn't a mama's boy. He was James Bond. He was smooth. He was slick. He was cunning. He was strong in a different way. He knew how to get what he wanted. You know, Esau knew how to catch game and kill game. Jacob was cunning and knew how to get what he wanted. And that's not necessarily a good thing. You're going to see in this story, both of them do not look good. Both of them do not look good. So the Bible goes on and says this. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So here are these two boys. They're as different as night and day. Esau's a hunter. Jacob is cunning and smooth. We see, you know, Isaac is the one now who loves Esau because he's a hunter and he loves to eat the wild game. And Rebekah loves Jacob. And they help drive the wedge between these two boys. Well, where's where this going? How's it going to go? Well, in verse 29. So once... When Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. This is a good translation. Verse 30. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I am exhausted. And that's why he was called Edom. That's why he was called red. He loved the red stew. His appetite was for the red stew. So he'd been out hunting, and this is one time he did not get any game, and he came back and he was famished. He was hungry, and he looks at his brother and says, give me some of that stew. Give me some of that red stuff that you've got. The Bible says in James 1.14, because this is a setup. This is a setup. Esau is fixing to put himself in a position that's going to cost him dearly. Listen to what James 1.14 says. But every person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. But after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Esau puts himself in a position where he's going to lose something dear to him. So the Bible says in verse 31, Jacob replied, Sell me. Your birthright. Where'd that come from? Sell me your birthright. Now, have you ever been in a conversation where you kind of thought the guy's kidding? I got a feeling that's what's happening here. So, so let me act it out for you. So here is, here is Jacob stirring his stew and it smells good. He's got it going on. Here comes a, a wild, burly man that's totally controlled by his appetites. It's go for the gusto. It's what matters is now. Forget the future. What happens now? I want what I want now. He comes in and goes, Whoo, boy, am I hungry. Give me some of that red stuff because I am exhausted. And in that atmosphere, Jacob goes, well, buddy... It's going to cost you your birthright. Out of the clear blue sky. Now, let, let me explain one thing. The oracle that occurred at the beginning of this story, that the older would serve the younger, was certainly talked about in the home. Jacob was there, and, and Re- Rebecca was there. Both of them were there. And you bet that Mama kept it all before Jacob. Jacob, God said that the older will serve the younger. Jacob, don't forget. And you can bet Esau heard it. 
So there's a good chance that Jacob's been cunning. He's been thinking, how can I get what I want? So to him, it wasn't a joke. Esau thought it was. Come give me, give me some of that red stuff. Well, hey, dude, sell me your birthright. And you can see it. Look at, look at the response. Look, verse 32, I'm about to die. How many of y'all think he was about to die? Okay. Look, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? I don't care. But again, I really think he's taking a lightly. Hey, dude, I don't care about birthright. I'm fixing to die. But then the knife goes in. Because Jacob says, swear to me first. All of a sudden, he got deadly serious. And Esau says, he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. He waited for the right moment to make something happen that he wanted to happen. He waited for the right moment to act for something that God wanted to happen. It just didn't happen the way God wanted it to happen. So your question, your fair question is this. How would God have made it happen? I don't know. And you know what? We'll never know until we get to heaven. Because instead of letting God work out his plan... Jacob worked out his plan. Anybody ever done that before? We act out our plan, and we'll never know how God was going to bring it about because we didn't give God a chance. Instead, we said, if I don't, it won't. And can I just say something? God's plan is better than your plan. God's way is better than your way, especially in the view of of eternity. See, God, God's people, grace people, aren't cunning. Grace people aren't deceptive. Grace people don't try to trip people up to get what they want. You know, you remember this scripture over in Matthew in chapter 20? Jesus called them over and said, Look, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and the people of high position exercise power over them. It must not be that way among you. Instead, he says, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Centuries later, Jesus would say that we don't do business like the world. And so often when we use the if I don't, it won't mentality, we don't act out like grace people. We act out like carnal people, like the world's people. And that leads to consequences and it leads to a bad testimony for the kingdom of God. Amen? I mean, this is huge. This is important. This is so important. And it's important because when we think we have to take control and take charge, it simply means we're not trusting God. That's what it means. Well, let's end the story. Verse 34, Then Jacob gave bread and little stew to Esau. He ate, he drank and got up and went away. Esau got a full belly. Jacob got a birthright. And by the way, that means that when... 
when daddy died, he got twice as much as Esau would. That's what the birthright gave him. So Esau got a full belly. Jacob got the birthright. And both of them lost a brother. How sad. Yeah, I know, I know. You know the story and I know the story. It kind of ends up okay eventually because Esau gets over it and actually acts more godly than Jacob did. But the bottom line is their relationship was broken for years and years and years and still remained scarred when they got back together. One more reading. Let me read it to you. Because it says Esau despised his birthright. Esau did not value something of spiritual value. The closing line of the episode gives us the divine commentary. Because it does not say, thus Jacob took advantage of his brother and Esau despised his birthright. But only that Esau despised his birthright. Esau's own sin sealed his fate. He had little regard for the word of God and his promises. Therefore, when he stands before God, he alone will be responsible. It ended bad for Esau. He lost his birthright and he showed his true character that he was not a man of God. It ended bad for Jacob. Yes, he got the birthright, but he did not do it God's way. And he lost relationship with his brother. When we don't do things God's way, that so often is the consequence. So my question is this. Regardless if it's a marriage that you're in, if it's a parenting situation, if it's a career, if it's relationships outside of marriage, if it's financial, are you willing to trust God? Are you willing to lay down the, if I don't, it won't, the five most dangerous words? If I'm, I'm going to lay those down, and God, I'm willing to trust you. That is the way of grace. I'm willing to trust you, God, even when I can't see. I'm willing to get out of the boat onto water to walk to you. Because that's the way of faith. Would you bow your heads there, please? So how about, friends? I only hope this makes sense. I'm going to leave that with the the Holy Spirit, but how about you? How about you? Have you found yourself recently in a situation where you wanted something or you could not see an answer, and rather than wait on the Lord, you chose to act? Maybe you're in that process right now. There's a relationship. There's a career choice. There's a financial choice. There's a character choice. And you're standing on the edge. And you're about to take the leap that says, if I don't, it won't. Pause. Stop. Trust God. And if you're here today... And if you got enough of the story where you said, you know what, I understand enough to know that Esau didn't trust God and know God. And today I don't know God. We want to invite you to get the opportunity. I'll be standing down front in just a moment. And we'll call this our time of decision. If you're here today and you want to know how you can call God Father, how he can forgive your sins, we want to give you that opportunity today. we got some friends who will pray with you and try to answer any questions that you've got. 
If you're here today and you are a grace person, you've experienced God's grace. And tonight you just want to, today you want to make a recommitment of your faith and trust in God. Say, God, in the past, if it didn't happen, I made it happen. I'm willing to trust you starting today. If we can pray with you about that, we'd be glad to do that today. So, Father, thank you for the freedom to preach today. Thank you for the liberty to preach. We ask, God, that you will have your way now in this time of decision. And, God, would you please, Holy Spirit, do your wonderful miracle of making sense of things that may be hard to understand. Bring it home personally to each person here. And, Father, bring those who need salvation to the Son and those of us who need to walk a walk of faith to that path of faith. And, Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.